Well, church, let me encourage you, if I can now, to go ahead and grab your Bible. And we're going to jump right into things here together this Sunday before Christmas. We're, we're going to be back in John chapter 1. And so if you've got a Bible or, or if you need a Bible, they're spread out all around the room. Grab one and join me in John's Gospel chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 9. As we, are, as we are seeing why this celebration of Christmas really is such good news from the mouth of one of the disciples of Jesus, divinely inspired by the Spirit of God to, to record what took place. That's what John is doing here. He's recording what he saw as an eyewitness and he's testifying even prophetically of of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. That's what we see here at the beginning of John chapter 1. This this big picture view, if you will, of who Jesus is truly is. We talked about this last week. He's not just uh, the baby born in a manger. In fact, the the baby in Bethlehem is not the beginning of Jesus. We we saw that in, in John 1. He's the eternal God, the sovereign reigning God over all, the God of creation who took on flesh to dwell among us so that we could see and understand who he is and what he has done and the great gift of love that is revealed through Jesus Christ. So John 1, verse 9, we're, we're going to jump right back in. Would you stand with me as I read this scripture? And if you're new to Shades or if you're joining online and you're wondering why are they standing again, they just sat down while we stand at the reading of God's word so that we all can be reminded together when we gather that the church of Jesus Christ is built on the word of God. It is our foundation. It is the solid rock underneath our feet. And so we stand to to hear what God says, what what God says is right, what God says is is true. We want to hear what God says is is good, what is beautiful for your life and for mine. And so we stand in reverence to the Holy Scripture, and this is what we see in John 1.9. Speaking of Jesus, it says, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the good news of who Jesus is and why he has come. And I want to ask us to pray together before we're seated just to invite the Holy Spirit of God to guide us in this time as we turn to the Scripture, that we would see what God knows we need to see on this day leading into this Christmas week. Let our eyes be in tune and open to what God knows we need to see. Let's pray together. Father, we we do stand before you asking you to speak in our lives. And this is something that as I pray, I know only you can do this. That you can speak to us collectively as a body, as a church, and you can speak to us individually at the exact same time. And so in your spirit, I pray, Lord God, that we would see what you know we need to see as a church. And I pray, Lord God, that we would see what you know we need to see individually. Bring the word to life in us. 
I pray that our hearts would be receptive and I pray that you would be glorified through it all because you are the one who, as we just sang, is worthy of it all. Thank you for this time in the midst of this Christmas season to turn our attention to you. Have your way among us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. When our kids were much younger, when they were still toddlers and, and elementary school was the oldest age, we, we had a, a version of the Bible that we would use with our children on many different occasions called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I, I do want to say this is like there's nothing in me or nothing uh, in, for me in this, but I want to give a plug to the Jesus Storybook Bible because if you're looking for a last minute gift, parents or grandparents of little kids, it's incredible. It's so beautiful the way this version of the Bible highlights and illuminates the good news of Jesus all throughout the Word of God. The, the tagline of the Jesus Storybook Bible is this, every story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name. So as you're reading through the stories of Scripture, you see I'm not just reading a story about Noah and the ark. I'm reading a story that ultimately points me to Jesus. When you read the story of David and Goliath, you're, you realize I'm not just reading the story of a shepherd boy who killed a giant. I'm reading a story that's pointing me to Jesus, to, to the gift of the Savior. It's a real gift for families to, to see this. And, and I bring it up today because as, as we walk through uh, this portion of John 1 this morning, we're actually going to turn to several different passages of Scripture throughout the Word of God. Some in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. Because one of the gifts we have in the Christmas season is we, we get this reminder that, that the entire Word of God is one great narrative that is pointing us to Jesus. And yes, this unfolds over hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years. And yes, this unfolds from generation to generation. But throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that this, this story, all of these stories are pointing to one story. The great narrative of who Jesus is and, and what he has done. And so with that in mind, we, we step back into John 1, and we're very quickly going to turn to the Old Testament, to the prophet Isaiah, and then we're very quickly going to turn back to the New Testament uh, through Matthew 4, and we're just going to see how the Word of God prayerfully connects the dots for us on, on the beautiful good news of, of who Jesus is and what He has come to do. So look back at John 1 verse 9. It says, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Jesus Christ is called the light of the world. When we talk about this at Christmas time with, with beautiful Christmas lights everywhere that we can see, the, the lights of Christmas, they're reminding us that the light shines brightly in the darkness. We talked about that last week at the beginning of John. And here John is reminding us, verse 9, that the true light which enlightens everyone, that's a significant statement, was coming into the world. Now this is a direct fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Covenant. 
So turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 9, right in the middle of your Bible, the Old Testament prophet, Isaiah chapter 9, and let's look at the prophecy that was, that was given hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, taking on flesh to come and dwell among men, hundreds before the, the story of Christmas unfolds that we are celebrating right now in this season, the prophet Isaiah shows us what's going to take place. Isaiah chapter 9, I want to look at verses 1 and 2. Listen to what the Word of God reveals. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Keep that in mind. What are those places all about? But in later time, it says, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. That's an important thing to remember as well. We're going to come back to that. And then verse 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them the light has shone. Now, we, we've been talking about this prophecy unfolding here, and, and John in his gospel, at the beginning of his eyewitness account, he is, he is saying to, to all of the, the readers and the listeners of Scripture, you need to understand the significance of who Jesus is. We need to have a bigger view of who Jesus is, the creator God who has always been, took on flesh to come and dwell among men as the true light which enlightens everyone, the fulfillment of this prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah talks about some specific places in his prophecy. It says the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. Then he says the, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. What is this all about? What are these areas and why in the world do they matter at all in the midst of Christmas? What is the significance here? Well, this is where I want to ask you to turn now to Matthew 4. We're going to go back to John 1. John 1 is our home base for the day. John 1 is our, our launching pad, if you will, for the day. And we're going to make our way through John 1. But we're seeing how the Word of God connects these dots and shows us that every portion of Scripture is actually pointing to the grand narrative of Scripture that is all about Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 takes us to this area called Galilee. The very area that Isaiah the prophet prophesies about hundreds of years before Christ would be born in Bethlehem, Galilee, as many of you are aware who know about the life and ministry of Jesus, Galilee is the home base for Jesus. If you're, if you're new to Bible study or if you don't know much about, about Israel and, the, and this, this land where Jesus spent his time on earth in the flesh, one of the gifts of going to Israel is you get to see this all unfold in front of you. And when you see the Galilee region, this, this region where, where Jesus spent most of his public ministry, those three years that, that, that he was in public ministry, that ultimately led him to the cross, most of those three years were spent in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, this, this region, this, this area. In fact, you can see throughout the New Testament, throughout the four Gospels, many of the miracles 
that Jesus performed on earth, they were performed in the Galilee region. And, and the thing you see when you, get to, when you get to go to the Sea of Galilee and experience this, this is not a very big area at all. In fact, you can see from one side to the other across the Sea of Galilee. And, and it begins to, to make sense how, how Jesus and his disciples, they could walk everywhere that they were, were going. They spent their, their time ministering in these little villages all around the Sea of Galilee. That's Matthew 4, verse 12. It shows us how Jesus got there. It says, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. This is talking about Jesus. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee and leaving Nazareth he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory here it is of Zebulun and Naphtali that's what Isaiah was talking about so why does this matter well I love what the word of God is doing here is connecting the dots is reminding us that that the word of God is one great narrative telling many different stories that all highlight and illuminate the the main story and that is Jesus and here we see in Matthew that Jesus is fulfilling specifically the prophecy of Isaiah after John was arrested, Jesus moves from Nazareth, which was his hometown. If you, if you know the story of Christmas, Nazareth is the hometown of Jesus. Born in Bethlehem, why? Because a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. You know the Christmas story, that every man had to be registered, right? This is part of the, the Christmas narrative. So Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem to be registered, but Nazareth is their home. And so Jesus is raised in Nazareth. He spends most of the first 30 years of his life in Nazareth. But when he hears John is arrested, that's significant. When he hears John is arrested... He moves. He moves to Capernaum, also called the Galilee region, the land of Neb Zebulun and Naphtali. Why is this significant? Well, keep your finger at Matthew 4, and let's go back to John 1. Because in John 1, verses 6 through 8, we actually see who Matthew is talking about when he says John is arrested. Now, this could get a little confusing here. I hope I'm not going too fast. But the Gospel of John was written, divinely inspired by the Spirit of God, by one of the first disciples whose name was John. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John near the end of the Bible. He wrote Revelation. It was the Apostle John that received the, the revelation of God that becomes what we now know as revelation in the Word of God. But he begins to talk about a different John. He's not talking about himself in John chapter 1. He's talking about a different John, John who was a witness, John who was a prophet. We often refer to him as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He was the one who was sent by God in advance of Jesus to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. 
John the Baptist comes as a witness of who Jesus is and begins to proclaim and declare that the Messiah that the people have been waiting for for hundreds of years, he is now coming to earth. It's a message that was getting people's attention everywhere John went. This is what we see in John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And then John clarifies, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So when we see in Matthew 4 that John was arrested, and when John was arrested, Jesus moves to the Galilee area, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah hundreds of years earlier. We're seeing that Jesus is responding to what takes place in the life of John the Baptist, the witness, the prophetic voice pointing to the Messiah. Why does that matter? Go back to Matthew 4 told you we're going to hit a few places. Matthew 4 verses 13, it says, after again leaving Nazareth, after John's arrested, leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Listen to this because there's a distinction here. Galilee of the Gentiles. And we're going to talk about this subtle little change. The prophet Isaiah calls it Galilee of nations, of the nations. Matthew says this is Galilee of the Gentiles. And then he quotes Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 9 and says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death, on them the light is dawn. From that time, it says, verse 17, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So again, what is this all about? I realize you may be here going, okay, it's Christmas time. I've got a lot on my mind. Uh, I have adult ADD. There's a lot of things that need to happen this week on my checklist. And you're giving me a geography lesson about places that I don't understand. What is this all about? Well, this is incredibly significant. Incredibly significant. Isaiah is prophesying about a very specific place, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee of the nations. Matthew says... This is a fulfillment of that prophecy that Jesus is now moving from Nazareth to Galilee. He calls it Galilee of the Gentiles, the the land beyond the Jordan, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in direct fulfillment of the prophecy that John says in John chapter 1 is revealing he is the very light of the world. He is the very fulfillment of who God says he is. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who has come to enlighten everyone. That's where we started, John chapter 1, verse 9. He has come to enlighten everyone. How do we know that's true? Well, these areas, these places that are prophesied and then these areas and places where Jesus spends his public ministry are very, very specific. 
The land of Galilee, the reason Matthew calls it Galilee of the Gentiles, is it is known as a place where the Gentiles live. What, what is significant about that? Well, the Gentiles are those who are not religious Jews. And the religious Jews often looked at the Gentiles in disdain. The religious Jews looked at the Gentiles and thought, man, they're, they're unworthy. They're not like us. They don't, they don't try to follow the law. They, they don't have God's hand of blessing on their life. They're, they're not good like us. They're, they're not worthy like us. And the religious Jews have often would even create laws to, to say to the religious Jewish people, here's why you stay away from the Gentiles. Here's all these rules that you have to follow to make sure you are not unclean from interacting with the Gentiles the religious Jews don't like these people who do not follow their customs who don't live like them who don't practice faith like them and they stay away from the Gentiles at all costs but remember what we read in John 1 about Jesus John 1 verses 11 and 12 it says he came to his own, the religious Jews. That's, that's his own. That's, that's Jesus. He's, he's born as a Jew. He's from the, the lineage of David. He's born in the city of David, Bethlehem. He, he's part of a, a royal priesthood. He's part of a royal bloodline. This is who Jesus is. He, he is the, the ultimate religious Jew. And it says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But then John says to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The religious Jews, when they began to see Jesus and hear him teaching, they began to say, there's no way this is the Messiah. No, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. No, 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 this is, this is that carpenter's son. This, this is Joseph's boy. This is not the Messiah. This can't be the Messiah. Are you kidding me? There's no way that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. His own people do not receive him. His own people reject him. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. And when he hears that John is arrested, he moves from Nazareth to this area of the Galilee, a place that was known for the people of the Gentiles. This would have been shocking to the religious Jews. How in the world, if, if Jesus really is the Messiah, how in the world could he go to Galilee of the Gentiles as Matthew describes it? And what we are seeing, please do not miss this. This is so beautiful and so important. This is John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light that enlightens everyone has come to invite anyone who believes in him to be called a child of God. Regardless of background, regardless of where you're from, regardless of your story, regardless of whether or not you even consider yourself religious. Jesus intentionally goes to the Galilee area, to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, to a place that was known for being a place dwelling in the darkness, the, the land of the Gentiles, so that anyone who listens and anyone who pays attention could realize this true light has come for anyone who will believe. 
This is not just for the religious elite. This is not just for those that grew up in the right home or living the right way. No, this message of the gospel, this good news of the light coming to the world, this is good news that is available to anyone who believes. And at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he is showing that he will go to the places that are the darkest and go to the places where the need is the greatest to show that this message of the gospel is available to everyone. And from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is going to tell his first disciples, as we'll see in a minute in Matthew 4, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to be a people who gets out of your comfort zone. I'm calling you to be a people who goes to places of need. I'm calling you to be a people who tears down walls because that's what the gospel does. I'm calling you to be a people who are a witness of this good news. You see, it's significant that Jesus moves from Nazareth to the region of the Galilee when John is arrested. Why? John was the witness of the Messiah. And Jesus moves to Nazareth, hearing that John has been arrested, and says to his first followers in Matthew chapter 4, you're now going to do what John was doing. If you follow me, if you become my disciple, from the very beginning, you are called, Jesus says, to be a witness like John. You are called to to share a testimony of the good news of the gospel. You are called to be a voice of one inviting others to receive this good news and to believe in what Christ has done so that they might be called a child of God. That's what we see as the story continues. Matthew 4 verses 18 and 19. And we're going to tease this out a little bit. Remember John's been arrested. Jesus moves to this region. Galilee of the Gentiles. Isaiah calls it Galilee of the nations. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to go to the whole world from this region. From this place. This land of the Gentiles is going to be the launching point for the good news of the gospel for anyone who believes. Do you see the beauty of what Jesus has done here? We love to get in our little groups and in our little huddles and we we love to surround ourselves with people who agree with us and, and those who believe like us. And inadvertently, oftentimes, oftentimes it's not intentionally, we just begin to build walls around ourselves, keeping the bad people away, keeping those away from us who don't agree with us or don't believe like us. And Jesus coming as a fulfillment of prophecy, setting up his ministry headquarters in the Galilee of the Gentiles is saying, look, it's not going to be this way if you follow me. We're not going to follow the patterns of the world. No, no, if you follow Jesus, we're going to go to the people who are not like us. We're going to go where the need is great. We're going to go where it's obvious the light needs to pierce the darkness. That's what we're going to do. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so Matthew 4, he calls his first disciples. And from the moment he calls them, he says, you're going to be a witness. 
verse 18 and 19. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I love these verses. I absolutely love these verses. Two reasons right up front why I love these verses. Number one, I love to fish. Praise God, the Bible talks about fishing. It is a godly thing to do. A righteous activity. To fish like Jesus and the disciples. That is awesome. But I also want you to know in a very personal way, I I love this encounter and this story because I have a brother named Andrew. And so when, when, when it says that Jesus calls his first disciples, he calls Peter and his brother Andrew, I'm like, man, that's cool. I got a brother named Andrew. And I, I do want to say this because I don't think he's going to see or hear this message, but just in case he does, I need it to be on the record. My brother Andrew, my brother Andrew is the greatest fisherman I've ever been around. I mean it. I love to fish. He's an expert. I mean, he's an incredible, incredible fisherman. Every time I fish with him, I learn something. Every time I fish with him, I realize I'm not a good fisherman, but I still have fun. He knows what to do. He knows where to go. It's like he thinks like a fish. He's got the incredible ability to know how to fish, what to fish, what to use. He's a very gifted fisherman. We love to fish and specifically really love to fly fish. And, and I've learned a lot of this from my brother over the years. He's a great fly fisherman, but I really, really love to fly fish for, for several reasons. The first reason is a movie called A River Runs Through It. Anybody ever watched that movie, A River Runs Through It? It's the greatest movie. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely incredible. Not only is it about fly fishing, it's about two brothers who, who are sons of a pastor. Their dad's a pastor. And they live in Montana. I'm like, when I first saw this movie, I was in middle school, and I thought to myself, Dad, why do you have to pastor a church in Atlanta? Why can't you pastor a church in Montana? It's going to be so much better. But you also have got young Brad Pitt in this movie. I mean, you know, Brad Pitt's still a handsome dude today, but young Brad Pitt? Now, come on. I mean, you thought it. Don't act like you didn't think it, right? I love this movie. I love this movie. And I first saw this movie in middle school. I was like, man, it's incredible. And then, and then as I got into fly fishing a little bit with, with my brother and with some friends, I began to realize, man, this is so fun because when you're fly fishing, oftentimes you're actually casting directly at a fish. You're not just sitting on the bank of a, of a pond or just floating around uh, on a lake, you know, on a boat. No, when you're, when you're fly fishing, many times you, you see the fish in the river and you say, I'm going to cast at that fish. I'm gonna, I've got to be accurate. I've got to put it right on top of the fish. It's just an incredible experience to be able to, to see that fish and try to fish for that very specific fish. But I also love fly fishing because there really is an art to it. It's not just putting a bobber in the water. I, I brought my fly rod because we've got to work on this together a little bit. Um, what I learned quickly in fly fishing, and guys there's no hook on this y'all chill out everything's gonna be fine (laughs) you don't just pick up a fly rod the way you would a spinning rod or a cane pole or whatever and just plop a bobber in the water you got to learn what to do 
Because again, you're trying to be accurate with where you're going to place that fly. And if you keep popping the water, you're going to scare off the fish. And so all the work of fly fishing is actually done above the water. And you've got to learn this art of casting back and forth above the water, keeping that line above the water so in the right moment you can land it right there where the fish is. It's pretty fun. But to learn how to do this, you don't just go to the water. And when I was first learning to do this, a buddy of mine said, hey, I know you, you want to fly fish some, so uh, come over to my house and we're going to practice. And so we went to his house and he said, all right, we're going to go out in the front yard and we're going to learn how to cast. And I'm thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, you don't catch fish in the yard, right? You catch fish in the water. He's like, but you got to learn. you got, you got to understand how to do this and, and how to get the rhythm down and, and how to cast so that you're not just making a mess and scaring off fish or getting tangled in trees. I mean, you've got to see that there's some art to this. And so he began to teach me this rhythm of fly fishing. And here's what i got to tell you. I mean, this is a confession. We didn't catch any fish in his yard. We learned how to fish, but we didn't catch any fish because you got to go to the water where the fish are if you're going to catch fish. Am I going too fast? I know this may be a little complicated if you're not a fisherman, but you got to go to the water where the fish are to catch fish. Why do I say it that way? Because many times in the church, many people in the church, they just, they're just scared to death of the water. And they know there's fish out there somewhere. And they may have even practiced to fish a little bit. But you're only going to catch fish if you go to the water. At the same time, many of you I know, I mean, you're surrounded by, by people who who are not followers of Jesus. You go to school, you go to work, you, you live in neighborhoods. I mean, many of you are surrounded by people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and you, you might know them, you might interact with them, you might talk with them, but please hear this. The only way you catch fish in fly fishing is you gotta, you gotta be willing to cast out the fly. And so I know for some, you, you spend a lot of time in the water, but you just don't go fishing. Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand, to follow me is to be a fisher of men. It's to intentionally go to the water, and it's to intentionally make the cast. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Remember, Jesus, as, as he hears that John has been arrested, his witness, he, he goes prophetically to the very place that Isaiah said that the Messiah would spend his time. And he, he goes to the very place where it's obvious that, that there's darkness and it's obvious that these are not religious Jews. And he, he begins to do his ministry. Why? To show his disciples how to fish and to say to his disciples, now you, you get to be a fisherman. 
You get to be a fisher of men. You get to be a witness of this beautiful good news that the the light has come to enlighten everyone who will receive it. And to all who believe it, there is an invitation to be called a child of God. That's the beautiful good news we stand on when we go into the world as a witness, living the mission, living sent, as we say it here at Shades. We get to stand on this beautiful proclamation of John 1 verses 12 and 13 to all who did receive it who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God see this is so beautiful because this says hey the call is to go fish But you're not the one that's going to change a life. That's what God does. God's invited you to to this process because fishing is awesome. Fishing is incredible. And God invites us to share in the joy of fishing. But he says, look, you need to understand, you're not going to be the one who saves anyone. But as the Spirit of God works through your witness and works through your testimony and works through you casting the good news and works through you sharing what Christ has done. As the Spirit of God moves and people trust in Jesus and believe, it says... There is this promise, this promise that they have now been given a new identity in Christ. They have now been given a a new name as a child of God. The old is gone, the new has come. We just got to celebrate this today in baptism. I love baptism. Because in baptism, we are being given a living example, a living testimony of what takes place when an individual trusts their life to Jesus Christ. I don't don't know if you can remember all the way back to baptism earlier in the service and the words that were said, but what we say when someone comes into the water and is laid beneath the water, we say they are buried with Christ. Buried with Christ. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? You see, baptism is actually showing us, for a moment, it's showing us a funeral. So baptism is a picture of, a burial. We say they are buried with Christ. What does that mean? It means the old self, the old life, the life of sin and shame before a relationship with Jesus Christ. That life, when we trust in Jesus, that life gets buried with Christ at the tomb. Jesus came to die on a cross and he was laid in a tomb there was a funeral and and we are celebrating that when we receive Christ the old self is gone it is buried in the tomb and all of that sin and all of that shame stays in the tomb so that when we are raised to with Christ in new life that's what we say in baptism raised to walk in new life we are now called a child of God A child of God who has moved from death to life, from darkness to light. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. That the light has come to the darkness. The light has come 
to the world. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Jesus has come to the places of this world, including your life and mine, where it was very clear that the light needed to shine. We celebrate and we look at lights and we remember that all who do believe in him all who trust in his name are given a new identity as a new creation in Christ. A life that has been reborn as a child of God. As we close today and as you go into this week that I know is such a, an exciting week but also such a busy week, let's resolve now beginning this Christmas week. Let's resolve that we're going to approach this week in gratitude for the good news of the light that shines and enlightens all who receive it. Let's be reminded of what Christ has done. Let's be reminded of the good news of why we celebrate this season. And as we prepare our hearts for Christmas this week, let's let's ask the Lord, would he show us where he wants us to fish? Would Would he open our eyes, give us eyes to see those around us who we've been, we've been invited, we've been, we've been called, we've been commissioned, we've been sent out to, to fish. And let's trust the good news that to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. Everywhere we go, everywhere God has placed us, everywhere God calls us, we are invited to be a testimony a fisherman sharing the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. May we see this week, may we see our circle with the eyes of a fisherman. And may we recognize the good news that God, in his love and his grace, has sent his son in the flesh so that the light could shine brightly. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this, this beautiful season and this incredible gift that we've been given in your word as we are reminded of the narrative of Scripture. There are stories all throughout the word of God, many, many stories, and all of these stories, they, they point to the beautiful, grand narrative of Scripture. It's all about Jesus. Thank you for that reminder here at Christmas. That when prophecy is fulfilled, when specific places are talked about in your word, when we see the the activity of Jesus' public ministry, when he dwelt among men in the flesh, all of this is intentional. All of this reveals who Jesus is and what he has done. We praise your name for laying it before us in your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the faith to receive what you say, to trust in what you say, to live in light of what you say. 
As we look at this Christmas week, give us eyes to see the beauty of this celebration and give us eyes to see where you have called us and invited us to fish. Thank you for that privilege. And Lord, as we close our time today, I I just want to pray specifically for those who, who are among us and for those perhaps who are joining online for this service who have never received the beautiful good news that is the gospel that Jesus Christ has come to live a life in the flesh, to die on the cross for our sin, to rise from the grave, defeating sin and death and offering us forgiveness and grace. For those who have never received that good news, I pray that today would be the day, that this would be the greatest Christmas of their life because this is the Christmas where they realize what Jesus Christ has done for them in a personal way. I pray that they would receive it, that they would believe in the name of Jesus and receive the right to be called a child of God. Oh, we thank you for the good news that this season is all about. Father, we lift up all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.